The Church Media Podcast, episode 134, Fire Up Your Creative Team with Andrew Johnston, part one. Let's do it. Hey there, welcome to the Church Media Podcast. The definitive podcast for helping you create dynamic experiences and build solid media production teams at your church. We're bringing you knowledge and insight from top media professionals from around the world. Useful, practical content in the areas of live production, design, The show notes for this episode and all archive episodes of the show are available online now at thechurchmediapodcast.com. And now, broadcasting from the ministry headquarters of 1230 Media, here's your host, church media coach Carl Barnhill. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Carl Barnhill. Thank you so much for checking us out. We are one of the largest, fastest-growing church media production podcasts in the nation. Hope you enjoyed my interview with my buddy Luke McElroy the last two weeks. If you missed it, be sure to catch up. And if you haven't grabbed Luke's new book, Creative Potential, yet, please do so. It's a really good book for any creative. LukeMcElroy.com is where you can pick it up. And guys, this week on the show, another prominent member of the SALT community stops by, Andrew Johnston. Over the next three weeks, we're going to be chatting with Andrew about his new book, Fired Up, Kindling and Keeping the Spark in Creative Teams. This is one of those books that you want to tweet every other line. I was reading it and giving the Christian affirmations alone in my office. You know what I'm talking about. Mm, That's right. Amen, brother. Preach. You know. Uh, We're walking through a lot of the content of the book with Andrew, and I asked him the most profound, most thought-provoking questions that you've ever heard in your life. So it's it's amazing, Uh, you know, okay, maybe a little over the top, but you're going to be astounded by my mad interview skills, and you're going to be giving your own Christian affirmations in your car or at your desk, wherever you listen to the podcast. So I'm giving you permission right now during my interview with Andrew to proclaim some spiritual encouragement. Mmm, come on. There it is. Get ready. It's coming up after this. Hey guys, I want to tell you about a great new book from my new friend, Dr. Andrew Johnston. There are countless books available to help you become more creative. This book helps you become a better leader. Dr. Johnston correlates the elements of making fire with the key aspects of leading a team in his new book, Fired Up, Kindling and Keeping the Spark in Creative Teams. Now, this isn't just another leadership book. This is a leadership book directly targeted at helping you lead a creative team. Fired Up will soon become your go-to guide as you transform your team into a powerful creative force, reaching new and exciting levels of success. From what began as a conversation with a friend and manifested itself around the fire pit in his backyard, Dr. Johnston uses the key components of fire to help us get our teams fired up to be more creative. You can pick up the book today at saltcommunity.com forward slash fired up. That's saltcommunity.com forward slash fired up. This is an exclusive interview from the Ministry of 1230 Media. Here is church media coach Carl Barnhill. Dr. Andrew Johnston has made a life of leading teams and developing the people within them. 
Uh, places like Bridgestone, Walgreens, the YMCA, the U.S. Army, and others have all called upon him uh, to teach, coach, and consult their teams. And I have to say, guys, he's got a new book out called Fired Up. We're going to talk all about it today. It was so incredible reading it. Uh, we have extremely similar passions, and I'm so excited to have him on today. Andrew, Andrew, uh, what's up, man? Thank you for being here. Hey, I'm happy to be here. I've been really looking forward to the conversation. Yeah, man. So uh, as I was saying, I was uh, reading your book to kind of prepare for our time together, um, and your book is so rich with – I just wanted to tweet like every other sentence that you were writing, but I didn't want to <laughs> flood people on my Twitter account. <laughs> well, that's great news. I'm glad to hear it. Don't let me stop you. <laughs> no, not to blow smoke, man, but it was uh, really good. So we have similar passions of leading creative teams, um, and you, you've done that for corporate um, clients and ministry environments. Give us a kind of a taste of, of what God has uh, allowed you to do the last few years. Oh, well, um, it's been really exciting. Um, I actually made a career out of being a, a leader and a teacher in higher, higher ed uh, for many years. But in the last number of years, I kind of have taken the plunge on a new adventure, and I've stepped out of the kind of formal classroom sort of environment and have been kind of out in the, the real world, if you will, working with leaders and their teams and coaching relationships and speaking and training and those sorts of things, really just getting to walk with people in the process of trying to make the most of opportunities and, and people. And, um, yeah, so it's just been a, a great experience because I'm, I'm really turned on by the opportunity to equip and encourage people that are, are doing the, the work. And so I've just gotten to meet so many people, be part of so many different groups. Um, it's been really rewarding to feel like I might be instrumental to, to God's efforts to kind of keep people on the right path or power them up to make the most use of their talents and those sorts of things. So I'm just I'm excited about getting to contribute to them, but it's a it's a pretty exciting thing to feel like you're getting to to kind of make use of the life and experience that God's given you too. Do you find a difference between um, in the air or whatever between a corporate environment and a ministry environment? Give me your sense of of the difference uh, yeah. in the two. Um, well, you know, in in one sense, um, there's some differences because in the ministry environments, I mean, people really um, think of their their calling as important because they're doing something that's that has eternal significance, right? right. Um, they're not whacking out widgets; they're actually trying to help people come to know the Lord or to to grow in their walk with Him or to um, serve Him well, worship Him well, all those sorts of things, but. You know, in another way, I, I don't see a lot of difference, and I find some of that compartmentalization, you know, almost a problem, um, because uh, people sometimes um, in, in ministry context, I find that they're really called to this, their heart's in the right place, and they have their, their eye on the right prize, but sometimes they're not as well equipped to pursue it. Mm. Mm. Do you find, on the flip side of that, do you find that ministry is harder because of the spiritual element? of it than a, than a corporate or business environment? Well, I, this may sound like a, a strange response, but in, in my experience, I find that um, any time we are um, serving the Lord, and, and you'll notice I'm not saying what context that takes place in, mm. but any time we're Good. serving the Lord, I think it gets harder because yes. Good. Uh, I, I think Satan is alive and well and very active in trying to thwart 
God's purposes, and also to steal some of God's joy by tempering how his children use the good gifts that he's given them. Yes. So uh, I, I see that happen in ministry context because I think Satan's pretty strategic, and he focuses on trying to slow their role or put their fire out. But honestly, in, in my work, um, when I work with believers, even in the secular context— when they're on fire and when they're tuned into what the Lord wants and are serving him in that context, I think it's harder for them, too, because you know, I think Satan rallies the troops to try to, to dampen God's work wherever it's happening. Absolutely. Uh, I totally agree with that. Um, okay, we're going to uh, chat today about your new book. It's called uh, Fired Up, Kindling and Keeping the Spark in Creative Teams. Um, it's presented by our friends in the SALT community, my buddy Luke McElroy's team. Um, give us a, a sense of, of why you wrote the book. Kind of give us an overview of where it came from. Yeah, um, well, I, I will, rather than um, tell you kind of the, the story that has the violin swelling in the background and the, <laughs> you know, the wonderful you know, sense of purpose and all this, let me just cut to the chase. I've known uh, Luke McElroy for a long time. I knew him when he was a student at, in university. And I've worked um, with the SALT community since its inception. I always do a, a session at the SALT conferences here in Nashville and all. And um, Luke came to me and he said, hey, we'd really like you to write a book about leading creative teams. And so the impetus for this was um, Luke asked me to. Um, and I've always loved working with creatives. In my own experience, I put myself through grad school running a graphic arts business, and sort of my heart lies with creatives. And um, I thought that sounded great, but I, honestly, I tried to get out of the job. <laughs> <laughs> I, I told him, look, you need to go find somebody that's you know, specifically the leader of a great creative group. I mean, go find somebody that's running a great um, advertising or marketing business, or go find somebody that has a great creative team and a big church and all he said, no, no, we want you to do it, because um, I've been teaching on leadership to the cell community for some time. So, you know, I, I took the challenge and really stepped into it thinking, man, I hope I, I offer something worthy of what I see as the, the salt community's needs and mission. So that the impetus for this was to really write to that specific audience in a, in a voice and a way that could equip and encourage leaders in, in churches that are trying to work with creatives in that environment. But my my goal, too, is to write a book that was broader than that um, and actually helps anybody fan the flames of their team and get the most out of what anyone um, has to offer in their teams. Now, in the book, you, you talk about this idea of the fire triangle uh, with oxygen, fuel, and heat um, as, a, as a triangle and, and how that motivates a creative team. Kind of walk me through that idea. Where did it come from? And kind of give me an overview of it. Yeah. Um, uh, well, soon after I agreed to write the book, I was kind of trying to think about how to, how to come up with a good framing device. There, there are all kinds of books on leadership and there are all kinds of books on creativity, but this was supposed to be one specifically about how to lead creatives. So, uh, I was sitting outside uh, in my house uh, by a big bonfire. We have a big fire pit in the backyard, and I was just kind of contemplating this. And as I was looking at that, it kind of occurred to me that maybe fire was a good metaphor for creativity because it, it involves this, this powerful transformation of kind of taking, taking matter and transforming it into something amazing. And um, 
I decided to kind of launch into that. I don't, I don't know if you learned this in school, but my kids learned about this thing called the fire triangle where these were the three ingredients for a fire to occur, right. oxygen, fuel, and heat. Um, and I decided to break the book down into those those parts. So the the first section of it is about oxygen, which is really trying to touch on the things that that free people from the things that sort of hem them in and hold them back and how to put metaphorically put wind in their sails and kind of help them um, be more creative, more prepared to take up those challenges. The fuel part of the book then is is just about how you feed that because it's a creativity is a, a consuming process and if you don't if you don't feed people they they burn up or burn out and uh, so this talks about what leaders can do to help sort of stop the the fire that they can get going and then the final part was about heat because every leader knows that if you really want to accomplish great things or ignite the the fire in your team you you've got to know how to turn up the heat and so that last section deals with some of the I guess some of the harder stuff, like how to keep the challenge high or offer good critique or motivate people to, to greater greater things. So that just became the framing device to say, look, if you want to get your whole team fired up, you've got to take care of these, these three different ingredients. All right, so let's dive into to each of these. Let's start with the oxygen uh, portion first. What does it mean to have – we know we're translating these into what it means for a creative team. Um, so what does it mean to have a highly oxy- o- oxygenated, how do you say it? How do you say that word? Oxygenated? <laughs> oxygenated? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, a highly oxygen filled, there you go, environment. That'll work, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I guess as I started thinking about this, I, I found myself um, really, really facing the challenges that leaders face because I think leaders often think that if they're leading creatives, they have to be the um, sort of the uber creative and uh, be able to address the challenges that their creatives are facing. But, you know, in reality, I I think of it more like those leaders um, are artists in a sense, but they have a very different medium now that they're leaders. They're they're supposed to create the kind of environment that that unleashes the potential of their team. So their medium is the the types of things in the environment, um, and they have to create the kind of environment that really turns their team on. So um, if you've ever been in a, a hospital or maybe a laboratory and you've seen those signs that say you know, danger, no smoking, and all that sort of thing. It's because there's oxygen present. And when you are you have this sort of oxygen-filled or highly oxygenated environment, um, you've got to be careful because even the slightest spark will combust and catch flame. And that's really what we're driving at. As a leader of creative, you want to create that kind of atmosphere where any sort of spark of creativity can catch flame and it's not dampened by the environment itself. So I recorded a podcast a, a couple of months ago on resources that you could put in your um, creative space or, or as it relates to church techie people like your production booth or your control room. Um, and those spaces are very important to building the, the culture. So give, give me your take on that. What, how, how and why do physical spaces uh, matter when it comes to creating um, environments for your team? Sure. Um, well, I think uh, kind of my my recipe for this includes physical spaces and then sort of the intangible things, too. So you're dealing with uh, the physical spaces are more like the context and the, the, the intangible things are more like the culture of your team. 
and you want these two things to combine in ways that reinforce important things. So what I try to draw people's attention to is what you want to leverage them towards. So you can buy all sorts of fancy equipment and, um, you know, deck out the workspace in really creative ways. And personally, I, I love, you know, reading about the kind of, Oh, famously creative spaces, whether you're looking at big ad firms or the Google complex and things like that. And they have, you know, fantastic art exhibits and fantastic resources and people get to like ride their skateboards around the floor and stuff. So they're super, I guess, um, creative spaces physically. And you can do that. I think it inspires people, but I've also been places that will put a lot of effort into that. Um, and uh, they don't see the, the kind of combustion that they're looking for because those things have to be um, created in the service of something else. And the culture as well, the intangible aspects of this, need to be in the service of something else. So what I would encourage people to do is, is to align those things in the service of three things. I'd say, um, first of all, connections. Um, you want physical spaces that that draw people together, that get them to interact, that get them to work, that that reinforce and um, support real relationships among people. Um, you want um, self-expression, so you need you need physical places to sort of encourage people to show their individuality, um, to let them adapt their work area or demonstrate their uniquenesses, and also they have some some clear identity and expression. Um, in the physical sort of surroundings. And then the third one is, I, I just call it commotion, because you want physical spaces that encourage people to to move around and make noise and be active and all. Um, the reason I say all this, honestly, is because most work areas don't do this. Um, mm -hmm. Instead, they try to kind of create these isolated spaces, compartments for people to accomplish good on-task behavior, and they're interested in making everything uniform so that it's very predictable and controllable, and they want it to be pretty tidy. They don't want any commotion. Let's not have any unnecessary noise or, or interaction. So, yeah, if you're, if you're thinking about kind of what can you do to support people in their physical spaces, and I mean beyond the the tools and resources to accomplish the task themselves, I think you want to make physical spaces that reinforce those things, those connections and self-expression and emotion. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. You you mentioned culture. Give me a sense of what does, I mean, we, we all kind of, kind of define culture differently. Um, how do you define team culture? What is that? Well, I mean, technically when we talk about organizational or team culture, we're talking about the, um, the policies, the mores, the values, and all that that shape the interactions among people. So, if your physical space, your your context, are the tangible things that shape the environment, well, then then culture is all the things that shape the intangible things. In reality, though, I I don't usually lean on that definition. I think we all know um, what culture is if we talk about it more as the vibe of your team. I mean, this is this is kind of how y'all get along, how you interact, what you can expect of each other. Um, and sometimes I just call it the juju of a team. So you've got, you know, some teams have good juju, some teams have bad juju, and that can make a big difference because even when you've got all the right sort of bells and whistles and the 
policies and all, if you've got bad juju, it has a way of sucking the oxygen right out of your team. And they, they aren't going to catch fire and creatives aren't going to burn in all the right ways in that environment because the relationships and the interactions and the feel of, of their um, intangible connections aren't going to support it. All right, so let's talk about Juju. What is a what uh, what is a team? Well, I guess twofold. What does a team with good Juju look like? And then maybe how do I turn bad Juju into good Juju? <laughs> I love that we're in such technical territory very, here. Very, yes, <laughs> very technical terms here. Well, you know, there's there are a whole lot of answers to this because culture is a complicated thing. It has a lot of inputs and all, but the thing I would highlight more than anything else um, that that causes bad juju or shuts down good juju is fear. Um, fear is is a remarkably powerful force in the team, and in a creative team, fear is debilitating not only to how the team works but to the creative process itself, even inside individuals, and so. The things that produce fear in the relationships, in the organization, or the way it works, that, that's what contributes to bad juju. And that's the kind of, um, think about it as sort of a fog that can shut down even the best interactions and the, the highest aspirations. That's the, the bad juju. If you want to kind of convert bad juju into good juju, um, I would say the first target is to drive that fear out. Uh, if you can can get people to be um, more free, less fearful, you'll find that they start stepping into greater opportunities. They're trying on crazier ideas. They're straying farther from the, the sort of uh, banal status quo, and you'll start seeing a good wind blowing in your team. Um, so I think if we're if we're really focusing on the best lever. To create good juju as opposed to bad juju, I would aim it at driving fear out and making people courageous and sort of um, adventurous in what they're doing. So you have a quote in your book that says, if you want creatives to connect when it counts, you need to encourage their connections when it doesn't. Um, yeah. That's a good quote. Um, kind of flesh that out. I mean, I could speak to that, but flesh that out for me. What do you What do you mean by that? Sure. Um <clears throat> Well, uh, the best working relationships um, are, at heart, real relationships. Uh, that's, mm. that's really what it's about. It's not just about getting people to come together on task or creating sort of this artificial connection to produce a result. Um, and if you're expecting to do that, you're in trouble because you sort of try to gin up a relationship when we need it to really be producing instead of fostering it all along. And so the, the point of that that adage, I guess, as I was putting it, is if if you want creatives to come together and and be able to to work together and produce extraordinary things or transcend the sum of the parts of their team at some point, you really have to be fostering real relationships all along. Um, you have to be making it okay to hang out together and to spend some um, off-task time together, so that. You have a real relationship that you can lean on or find fueling your, your interactions when you needed to be on task. Um, and that's kind of hard for uh, some leaders because they're really focused about controlling interactions and all to be productive, quote unquote. Um, if you want to get the most out of creatives, you need to be letting them kind of interact and encouraging them to hang out and do things that are off task and apparently unproductive in the interest of the moments when you need them to really produce. Good. That's really good. Um, 
I was going to mention a couple of things there. One, with the teams that I've led, um, I created a a uh, an events team uh, or a culture uh-huh. a culture team within my production team that their sole job had nothing to do really with a task on Sunday. It was basically I tasked the leader with I want uh, like four events across the year. Um, where we get together and do big, huge events, you know, a, a bonfire or a Christmas party, something like that. And then I'd like one monthly event. Everybody goes to the movies or we go catch a lunch after Sunday, something like that that, you know, people can come or not, but just to kind of encourage that. Nothing to do with a task. Um, I love that. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. And then yeah. I think a lot of, of um, guys that run Sundays – uh, tech guys that run Sundays were so um, focused on is the button pushing right? You know, is, yeah. is my experience going well? Are we executing everything that we need to? And I think sometimes we fall into this. I'm using people to push a button and I'm not getting the relationship equity. I'm not pastoring them first and I'm not building a culture of relationships where just like you said, I can lean on that relationship when it counts. And so I think a lot of volunteers, if they're not in an environment where that relationship um, uh, building is there, then they almost feel used. Or I'm just here to do a, a job. Like what? What? what oh, you know? Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I think your your example is a great one. You you've got your eye on the right territory as a leader because I think one of the hardest things for leaders, especially when you're in the pressured world of you've got a weekly cycle. That you have to produce that yeah. fast. You can hear the clock ticking every moment, right? Exactly. And uh, I think one of the hard things for leaders is that they can be so focused on the product, which is like a great Sunday service or uh, all the ingredients you have to put into the presentation there, the productivity. You can be so focused on the product that you really feel like you don't have any time for the process. Because, right. you know, it, we can all sit around in a sterile phone conversation and say, oh, yeah, the process matters. How we work together matters. The culture in our team, you know, the relationships and stuff. And we all kind of intuitively know that matters. But in real life, in the practice of leadership, it seems like that always comes up at a time where we don't have the luxury to lean into it. We feel the pressure of, yeah, yeah, that's great. But right now, I just need to get this job done. Mm-hmm. And there's there's nothing wrong with leaning into the job and the productivity at times, even to the to the exclusion of process and those other things. It's just that if that's your go-to move as a leader and you find yourself always doing that, yeah. you shouldn't be surprised to turn around and find out you don't really have a team. You have a bunch of independent performers that are trying to execute a common goal, but you don't have that synergy and that that fire that comes from a great team that has real relationships. So the only way you can get that is to lean into the process sometimes. And that honestly requires you to turn down the emphasis on product now and then. That, that takes a lot of courage yeah. for a leader to, to do that. Especially when uh, your pastor or lead staff is looking to you to execute and perform uh, almost with perfection. You know, if something goes wrong yeah. in the service, they're looking to you, which means you in turn have to be, are, are more focused on the product um, because that's what you're getting grilled over. <laughs> uh, uh, absolutely. And, and for what it's worth, that problem exists 
everywhere there's a hierarchy and everywhere there's a team. So when mm. when we talk about leadership, leadership is hard work and it and it takes a lot of courage and the ability to manage that because I have yet to meet a senior level leader that isn't just going to focus on results and and they're going to come to you, the pastor's going to ask you for results and if you say, "Well, you know, I'm sorry, we we didn't give you very good results because we were really leaning into the relationships." That's, yeah, not, that's gonna not going to be very acceptable. Yeah. And so leaders stand right in the middle of that tension, and they figure out how to deliver the results. But within their own teams, if they want to see a strong team and want to really fire them up, they have to be prioritizing process at times. And so they sort of personally absorb and lead in that tension. Mm-hmm. And it's amazing how the result does go up or the performance does go up when the relationships have been cultivated during the week. Um, oh, yeah. It just naturally, yeah. the level, because you're, you know, the synergy between the team and things like that, you're just executing um, at a higher level. Yeah, uh, yeah, very much so. <clears throat> this has been an all-access interview from 1230 Media. For more interviews, training, and exclusive content for your production team, visit 1230.media slash training. It's an amazing song. How'd you do this? You know, I've never told anybody my story. From Irwin Brothers Entertainment comes I Can Only Imagine. When I was uh, 11 years old, life was tough. And I've always loved music. And I found some songs that I just, I held on to. They gave me hope. In theaters now. Dad, I can do this. No, you can't. And you're going to blink your eyes and you're going to realize that life has gotten you nowhere because you chased some stupid dreams. Discover the untold story. I want you to know that I pray for you all the time. What are you running from? My dad. Been right about it. Behind the beloved song that inspired millions. My dad was a monster, and I saw God transform him, and so I wrote this song for my dad. I can only imagine. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Now playing. Go to ICanOnlyImagine.com. I can only imagine the true story of Bart Millard, the lead singer of Mercy Me, is now playing in theaters. A great movie to take your volunteer team to go see. You can get free resources to promote the movie to your team at 1230.media forward slash I can only imagine. That's 1230.media forward slash I can only imagine. On the next Church Media Podcast. Next week on the show, we'll continue walking through Andrew's book, Fired Up. It's really good content, guys, and I think it will really help us lead our creative teams better. Be here for round two next week. For show notes, transcripts, and more resources for your team, visit thechurchmediapodcast.com. Our podcast is a production of the Ministry of 1230 Media. The producer of our show is the amazing David Michael Hyde. And thank you for listening this week. Go out there, guys, and create some incredible experiences this weekend. I'll catch you next week. Thanks for listening to the Church Media Podcast. Please take a minute today to rate and review the show in iTunes. For show notes, archive episodes, and more free resources for your team, visit thechurchmediapodcast.com. We'll catch you right here next week for another episode of the Church Media Podcast. 